Stay tuned now for the local coronavirus update. Bad news under my feet, bad news out of the bar. And good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales live in the Ukiah studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Hello. We are here for Memorial Day edition of the local coronavirus update because we just can't get enough, I guess. I know, right? Come in on the holiday. But yeah, I mean, figured we'll keep it going. Actually, we've decided. Do you want to tell them? We've decided that the pandemic local news coverage does not require a weekly hour-long show um the the local news has certainly become fairly um static and well covered by county public health on their friday um events and you know the the pandemic i think is fairly well understood by most of kzyx listeners at this point um and the and the hopes and the uh and the news is fairly static in 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 many respects but we're not ending abruptly we're going to continue i think through the end of june that's right and then we will draw this long covid show to a close to a close it's been a good run it's been a run certainly (laughs) It's it's actually quite remarkable. I mean, we've been doing this now for 16 months, and we went from you know staring down a pandemic that was understood that's true really not at all by any of us um, to you know something verging on panic. Um, you know, back when we were concerned that the hospital systems were going to be completely overwhelmed throughout the country. Um, you know dosed with a healthy sprinkling of misinformation and disinformation as we slouched through the summer um, and into the fall with some significant missteps both at the state and federal level that have you know considerably worsened our uh, mortality rate over the course of the last year and on you know on this memorial day i think it certainly um, important to recognize that we're cl- approaching 600,000 deaths in this country from COVID, um, which, you know, is not the handful that was predicted um, last January, and is certainly a far cry from the, the 80 to 120,000 predicted by Tony Fauci um, back in, I believe, it was March of last year. Um, and people are still dying at you know at the rate of around 400 a day in this country, which translates to you know another 180,000 deaths on an annual basis. Now that's not going to sustain, but that's still a lot of daily deaths from one single illness. And you know to put that in context, we have about 40,000 um, gun deaths a year in this country, um, and we're having you know 400 deaths daily from COVID right now. There are about 15,000 opiate overdose. Um, cases in this country on an annual basis. So, you know, COVID is is significant. It was the single largest cause of mortality um, for a single disease process uh, last year. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not over yet. However, it is getting um, considerably better in California. And even though we are still dealing with this countywide increase in case numbers, um, things are not worsening and they're certainly readily managed with even our somewhat limited healthcare capabilities. So we're going to keep doing this show through June, but then we're going to call it, call it quits. We're going to call the code. Yeah. I mean, 
I appreciate that everybody continues to call. That's really cool. I both appreciate and astonished, and astonished. But it's you know it's it's been fun. It's been a privilege to to do this for the last year. Um, but you know there are some diminishing returns at some point. Yeah, it's you know we don't want to just do it too long. You don't want to outstay your welcome. Although <laughs> I do know uh, for me and for a lot of our listeners, it's been really important for our mental health and also just trying to navigate all of the stuff you just talked about you know the missteps and the disinformation and you know the 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 weird chapters and peaks and valleys of this pandemic it's been pretty scary so to have this regular hour or you know our regular show over the course of the year it's been really important so thanks it's been a pleasure it has but we're not leaving yet so yeah say goodbye I hate that. You're like, bye, but I'm not leaving. Okay, we'll be back next week. Um, okay, so what have we got for this week? Well, there's, you know, the numbers for starters. Um, we've, we're still adding uh, around seven cases a day in the county. Um, That's a lot. Which is, it's been kind of flat for about two weeks now, um, six to seven, five, six to seven to eight cases on a daily basis, which is a lot. Our positivity is 4% um, as of the last posting, uh, which is, these are all Friday's uh, data points. Uh, hospital utilization is still there. We have five people hospitalized, um, two in the ICU. Um, and in fact, somebody was just in, placed on a ventilator on Friday um, at Ikai Hospital for COVID. Um, now, it should be noted that all the people are hosp- who are hospitalized are, uh, are unvaccinated, um, which is frustrating to say the least. Um, but other than those numbers, the statewide numbers are actually quite good. We're down about 25% over two weeks, and we've been down you know, 20 to 30% over the rolling two-week average for the last month in the state of California. We're down to about 1,100 cases a day, um, down from you know the mid-35,000 cases a day that we were seeing back in December and January. So low numbers, but certainly not you know trivial numbers at this point. Um, the U.S. national average is down about 40% over two weeks as well. There are scattered hot spots, and I don't think, you know, Mendocino County would qualify as a hot spot, but we're, you know, warmish. And, you know, as long as the tiers exist, we certainly are edging into what would be called the orange tier rather than the yellow tier. Um, but other than that, not a lot of breaking news. I mean, I think some people, and there has been some coverage, uh, particularly now that the vaccine is available to children, um, about um, myocarditis, um, vaccine-induced myocarditis in children. That's not really clearly linked yet to the vaccine. Um, myocarditis is an inflammatory condition um, of the heart um, that is typically triggered by um, viral type of illnesses. It's quite common. And so you're going to have a fair number of people with myocarditis with or without vaccine um, on a you know, on, on a monthly or daily basis uh, throughout the country. It's not clear that the vaccine is inducing this sort of mild reaction that has been detected in um, some small number of children. It's been quite mild in all of them, and they've recovered uneventfully from what, from what data I've seen published on this. But stay tuned. We'll get a better sense of that um, going forward. It should be clarified that the more dangerous um, and devastating uh, multi-system inflammatory condition in children caused by COVID is quite clearly um, linked to the illness of COVID um, and is quite distinct from, you know, this immune response that may or may not be linked 
may or may not be linked to the vaccine. Um, but that's that's about the only news that's really breaking right now. Um, there are some rumblings that Moderna is going to be um, approved for teenagers fairly soon. Um, it's likely that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines will be um, approved for children two and up, but probably not until late September will that go through approval. And a lot of people are wondering when um, the Pfizer vaccine is going to be um, get granted full FDA approval. That will probably happen sometime in late summer, maybe as early as July, but probably not before then. Well, I know the movie theaters were open this weekend. Were they? Yeah, well. I saw the parking lots were full. My kid went to see one, a movie with his girlfriend. It was Good. very normal. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, he brought home popcorn. Movie theater popcorn. Yeah, movie theater popcorn. Yeah, I hadn't had that in a long time. Mendocino County did make national news. I don't know if you saw this, Alicia, but there's a cafe. Oh, yes. (laughs) I actually was in Mendocino this weekend, and I saw that cafe, and it was empty. And I was proud. All the other cafes had lines around the building, and yeah. That yeah. one didn't. They're yeah. paying. What did he? What's he doing? Paying people, making people pay more Charging money. Them if they're wearing a face mask. Yeah, if yeah. they wear a mask. Yeah. So that sounds like. Yeah, it's not exactly our greatest generation. <laughs> if we're not able to sacrifice a facial covering to keep this community safe, I mean, good God, I have no idea how we pulled World War II off <laughs> at this point. Well, anti-fascists are now a bad word i guess so who knows what state the u.s is in but anyway do we digress just a bit i was just proud to see that there it was like crickets in there so people are still able to make intelligent choices um okay should we see if anybody's listening on this i know it's blisteringly hot (laughs) okay it's eight nine five two four four eight is the phone line here. Seven oh seven eight nine five two four four eight is the online uh, on air number here at KZYX, and the phone lines are open for your calls here on the local coronavirus update. How was your weekend? Did you do anything? Did you? I had a sing along. Oh, we have a phone call. Oh, good. We're not going to hear about my sing along. Oh, come on. But we do have questions about sing-along. Lots of questions about sing-alongs, yes. Yeah, we miss singing together. Hello, Collie, you're live on the air. Hi, thank you both very much for the long haul on the show. Um, yeah, I have a question that's kind of a follow-up with you, uh, Dr. Colfax. I had called you a little while back about my brother was in the hospital for 23 days and he lost his taste. And you mentioned, yeah, it would probably take six months. I thought I'd call back and tell you that he he got the vaccine after his 90-day period. He said his sense of taste is even worse, and when the food hits his tongue, he says it feels like it's going to explode. He, he's a little humorous in this. But I was wondering if, uh, if, if there's probably no development on that as far as any way to speed up your, um, to get your taste back like that when you're eating. Actually, there is. It's it's actually an interesting field, and it has exploded in the course of the last six months. Um, so much of our taste is wrapped up in our sense of smell um, that there is now increasing research and data coming from people who study the anosomia or the loss of smell. Uh, that you can actually engage in um, olfactory training. Um, so exposing yourself on a repeated daily 
um, basis to strong smells like cinnamon and clove and wintergreen and a few of those other scents um, can actually help the nerves regenerate and normalize or accelerate the normalization of smell again. So it's, it's certainly beyond my um, skill set as an ER physician, but there is increasing data around that. Unfortunately, this is a county where we have no um, ENT doctors, and it's not exactly an ENT doctor um, sort of mainstream area of work. But it is something that it can actually just be Google searched, um, and there are even YouTube videos on uh, as training the sense of smell to help um, recover um, the loss that has come with COVID. It was a fairly obscure um, condition up until COVID, right? It's not like we were talking on the radio about loss of smell, um, you know, other than that, which was associated with, you know, sinus infections or, you know, 40 pack years of smoking tobacco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's due to the COVID. Yeah. It's and it's a miracle he's alive. He has the overweight and the diabetes and he had so many problems and then he's got even um what he's got Crohn's disease recently, so boy, he's like a workhorse. He he really pulled through. I think a lot of his problems were environmental and being a, a mechanic, a jet engine mechanic in the Air Force and exposed to some stuff and he worked for a gas company, so sometimes this stuff would spray me in the face, but anyway, I'm glad he's still with me and us. And yeah, that, um, yeah, that, um, interesting that, uh, we went local here on, uh, Fiddlehead and Mendocino, cause I, I was gonna call and say I heard the made the Mark Thompson show happened to catch the 11 o'clock hour at the beginning just by accident and he was saying oh up in mendocino county you gotta pay five bucks and the story on that guy was he was shut down before yeah, um, I, I think this is the same person who was fined ten thousand dollars by public health for not enforcing the masking requirement yeah in fact he was even out somebody told me he was even out on the corner near the local supermarket with a sign protesting that quote i think it was something like masks don't work yeah so i don't know and then they closed him down and then he put a bunch of, of, of sayings on his uh windows there like about li civil personnel liberties and all of this which you know i don't think personal liberty is absolute when it comes to giving somebody else a disease there is a, a limit so anyway i'm going to get off the phone i really thank you for all the all the years here, almost. It's like, well, it's been a couple of years, into the couple of years. Let's not, let's not get too far into the plural. Thanks it's for the memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good luck to the both of you. Thank you. All right, thank, thank you. you. That's cool. I've never heard anything like that. You can train your nose. Yeah, you can... Help it helps recover uh, sort of the loss of you know of the sense of smell that we see um, with some people with COVID. Typically, it actually comes back fairly quickly um, in most people, and some people only have a very short course of loss of smell on the order of a day or two. Um, but other people, such as this caller's brother, um, you know, it can last for months and months and can be part of that sort of long COVID um, you know syndrome. I've heard it's pretty disorienting too. To lose sense of smell. Yeah. Yeah. Very it's much so. Unpleasant. Particularly if you're a winemaker. Oh yeah. Uh, or there's lots of other smells in the county. Yeah. Um, hello, caller. <laughs> you all are good. live on the air. Hi there. Hey. Thank you. Um, I was wondering if you guys had any up-to-date stats on percentages of vaccinations in the county. Um, 
that, you know, take into account all the different sources where people can get vaccinated. Yeah, so it, it's actually kind of hard to pull that together because there's so many disparate sources and the state data is quite delayed in its uh in its reporting of the data um but my impression is that we are probably around 65 to 75 percent vaccinated um probably at the upper end of that range of the eligible people uh which is quite good i mean it puts us up there with some of the best counties in the country in terms of vaccine uptake uh, the rate of new people presenting for a vaccine um is you know, it's still there. It's a low number on a day-to-day -day and a week-to-week -week basis, but people are still coming forward and deciding uh, that it's time to get the vaccine. And, you know, hopefully that will continue over the course of the summer so we can get up into the high 80s, uh, low 90s rate. I mean, I, I'm sure there will be, you know, some people who just absolutely refuse to get the vaccine, and I've seen some as a patient. Um, we've all encountered some of those people in our lives. Um, and, you know, that's that's unfortunate, but it's also, you know, part of what kind of society we have at this point. Um, you know, those individuals are at a at significantly increased risk of getting COVID and getting sick from it. And, you know, I certainly see, you know, buyer's remorse, if you will, um, in the ER when I encounter somebody who's really sick from COVID, which I still have been doing, um, you know, over the course of the last several weeks. You know, in, in the face of having something that can prevent the COVID illness or particularly to mitigate the, the more extreme forms of it. So it's it's depressing that we don't have 100% uptake, but, you know, we don't have 100% uptake on anything that prevents, you know, disease or helps promote overall good health. So the actual numbers, I, I think... I think, I don't know if Alicia has it on Facebook, um, the county has stopped updating their county website um, with the um, the vaccine rates. They only post push it out to Facebook, which I do not go to. Um, so I don't have the you county. Know, I looked at the county website and it was updated in April. Yeah, no, exactly. They updated, I think, yeah. April 14th, yeah. and that was it. Um, they do push it to Facebook, but that's not, going, that's not going to include all the pharmacies now. It's not going to include the VA um, or Consolidated Tribal Health or Adventist, which is somewhere in the realm of 30,000 vaccines. Adventist is not doing a lot of vaccine events anymore. It's mostly being handled by public health at this point, but it's certainly coming through a lot of the pharmacies. Um, it's, it's very easy to go to any one of the multiple pharmacies throughout the county and get the vaccine. And I'm not sure if the county data includes um, the pharmacy vaccine administration. They include like the clinics in uh, yeah. So they include in, all, in all the, yes. They include all of the federally qualified health centers uh, throughout the county because they're the ones that are distributing the vaccine to those clinics. So they're tracking that, and those numbers that they're pushing out reflect that. All right. Well, thanks very much for that. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the all call. Right. Bye bye. Stay cool. Um, that's crazy that you still have you have five people in the hospital right now with COVID, and it's totally preventable. Well, it's it, well, okay. It's an extremely effective vaccine. Let's put it that way. Talking the, to a doctor, ninety-five yeah. percent preventable. Yeah. It's you know, it's the likelihood that you're going to be hospitalized with COVID um, after full series of the vaccines 
you know, it's it's vanishingly small. It's it's really mm-hmm. you know, it's an it's an entirely containable disease at this point. One hundred percent, no, I can't go there, but the odds are greatly reduced. And it's you know, it's pretty. It's silly, frankly, that we're seeing people that are having to go on ventilators with COVID when there's a vaccine that prevents that. Now, to be sure, um, you know, my last review of the CDC's data um, over the course of the last, you know, six months of getting the vaccine rollout, I think there have been around 200 people um, who have died in the hospital who had received the full series of covid shots and then died with covid in the hospital but it's not at all clear from that data whether those people died from covid right so that's useful yeah so you can you know obviously people die on a daily basis in hospitals um or elsewhere but you know if you're elderly and you have covid and you go to the hospital because you have some sort of condition that then results in your demise it's not necessarily a covid death um unless covid obviously caused the symptoms and so it's it's a little bit hard to tease out sort of how absolute the vaccine has um prevented sort of the more severe illnesses or the deaths but we certainly see it in the in the national numbers right so well and i saw some infographic over the weekend that that showed that the rates among unvaccinated are similar to what they were before like unvaccinated rates are still quite high unvaccinated covid rates yeah people yeah. getting sick with covid yeah and, and you know for right now if we're talking you know in this county if we're at 70 percent vaccinated and we're adding what is it seven to eight cases a day or six to eight cases mm-hmm. a day that's a pretty high rate particularly when you consider that you know that that fraction or that number of people who are getting covid are really more or less the unvaccinated population um so right. it it's it's still here it's still amongst us and in pretty high numbers amongst the unvaccinated it will spread occasionally to somebody who's vaccinated and they may in fact get symptomatic but the likelihood that they're going to get so symptomatic that they have to come to the hospital i don't think any of us has seen somebody who's fully vaccinated um and been evaluated in the emergency room with covid symptoms so it's like 25 to 35 percent of the population keeping those rates what they used to be yeah in terms of the positivity rate that sounds really scary to me if you're walking around unvaccinated it's like your rate your your risk is higher than it's ever been well covid will find you right i mean it's 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 present um it's it's a pandemic which means it's pretty much everywhere um and it's certainly in this county so if you're unvaccinated sooner or later you're likely to get covid now still even despite the 600,000 deaths or thereabouts where you know most people are going to do just fine with covid um mm-hmm. and that's been sort of the speaking point for the last 16 months but it it's not the flu right this is this is on the order of a magnitude of difference from your average flu season still all right well we do have uh, open lines it's 895-2448 that's 707-895-2448 this is the local coronavirus update i'm alicia bales live in the ukiah studio with dr drew colfax we chose the hottest place in the entire county to do the show today <laughs> it's hot in ukiah um and we do have open lines like i said we're going to be here until four o'clock we have a couple of emails though yes so i have an emailed question regarding singing and masking um 
you know, singing's a fraught topic. It really is a high-risk activity. Um, it's a high-risk activity even without a pandemic, in my estimation, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> I was going to say it's fraught for yeah, some people, yeah. even not with a pandemic. Um, but the question is, can 20 vaccinated people sing indoors without masks? What about 50 vaccinated people singing indoors without masks? Uh, that's a lot of people um, engaged in a fairly high risk activity. And so I, you know, certainly the public health recommendations out of the county and state would be absolutely no. Um, and I, I frankly think that that if you have to have your mask off to sing, which I think is a reasonable expectation, I think that that number of people need be outside. And, and frankly, they probably need to be somewhat socially distanced still. I just the risk benefit analysis on that kind of an activity um, is significant, right? If if even one of those 20 or 50 people had COVID despite being vaccinated, uh, you would be, you know, potentially spreading it to a lot of people who are at fairly low risk of getting um, severely sick from COVID. But the risk of continuing to spread this virus in, in the county and keep our numbers where they are is is significant from an event like that. And it just doesn't make sense from a public health perspective or from a personal uh, responsibility perspective. So I, I unfortunately have to say no to the indoor maskless um, large congregation singing as of yet. Um, those numbers, that that um, recommendation uh, will probably change or will certainly change when we get our numbers better and when we get our vaccine rate a little bit higher. And, you know, we're on sort of this exponential decay um, curve right now um, of COVID, both uh, in the state and nationally. So I think our numbers, even though we're still sort of plateauing right now in Mendocino County, I think our numbers are going to continue to trend in the right direction over the course of the next two to six weeks. I, I don't think things are going to be heading much worse at this point in time. So sit tight, hold off on the indoor maskless singing for now. How? What's an exponential decay? Well, it's the if opposite of exponential growth, right? Okay. So early on, you know, when we were talking about um, the pandemic spreading and, you know, one person infecting, you know, 10 people and 10 people infecting 100 people and 100 people, so on, so, so on and so forth, that's where we are, but in reverse. And so there is just that many fewer people in an exponential or negative exponential way um, for the virus to reach and, and spread to. Um, and so the curve is very, steeply um, or had been very steeply um, down going we're now kind of in the, the long tail of an exponential um, curve um, and so we're going to stay in that long tail probably into the fall um, but it's you know it's the right side of the curve to be on right okay so decay means it's going down, down yes decay, yeah yes exactly. okay let's take our next call hello caller you live on the air Hi, thank you for taking my call. Is it not true that we are having a surge in Mendocino County? Is it not true? It is true it, that we are having a small surge in Mendocino County. That is it correct. It is true. Yes. Then, uh, and I have run into so many anti-vaxxers. Yeah. The younger, they happen to be white men, but that's who all who's... Anyway, uh, they won't get the shots. In fact, somebody who was working for me told me all the myths and hype about Bill Gates and pregnant women, and it's just... Uns 
I I don't feel safe having someone work for me even outside if they haven't gotten the shots. But anyway, why would you end the show right now? I know you guys are tired of it. I don't blame you, but I feel like if we're having a surge, we need this show. I wish you would continue it for a while. Well, we'll see where things stand the end of June. Um, but if things are flat or improving between now and then, um, you know, we'll we'll be on standby. Let's put it that way. Um, but you know, we kind of know what works and we know what doesn't work at this point. Um, and as an ER doctor, you know, the the unvaccinated will sooner or later present to attention um, in the ER and COVID will become much like many of these other activities that we engage in and those who don't get vaccinated will, you know, come to attention, come to medical attention potentially from COVID. I mean, that's just the way it's going to work out, um, certainly at a higher rate um, than the vaccinated. But, you know, that's, that's kind of where we are locally. I just don't see that changing, uh, unfortunately. And as for your comment that you don't feel comfortable hiring people who are unvaccinated, I think that's reasonable. Um, not necessarily. Well, then you don't have a worker at all. Well, that's yeah. the problem. Well, I don't know if that's. Well, that's what's happening. They're young and dumb and won't get vaccinated or there is nobody else. So that's my choices. I, I, that's why I couldn't plant today because I couldn't dig up my dirt by myself. But anyway, uh, okay, thank you for the show. I appreciate you guys being on the air all this time. And it's just reassuring to me when you're on the air. It just makes me feel better. Well, thank you so, for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I feel the same way. And I think, you know, there is the phenomenon of staying past your welcome. I think, you know, when <laughs> when um, we get to a point with the pandemic where it is, it's just the same thing over and over again. That's why we wanted to tell you well in advance as well, because it is we are used to this now and a lot of people do depend on it. And so we aren't leaving soon. It's going to and I'll always I'll always be on the air. You can't no, get rid of me. I know. Yeah. And maybe, you know, if we'll just have you come on randomly when we when we need you. Oh, I'll be random. We'll have don't you worry. Yeah. A little bat yeah. bat signal yeah. or something. I don't know. All right. 895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. It's good news. It is good news. And I just want to touch on one of the or one of the tangential points that that caller made talking about them all all the unvaccinated people being um young white men um that's actually not reflected in the county data um the county data still reflects um decreased rates of vaccination amongst the latinx community um despite you know fairly aggressive outreach um to the to the various communities in the county um but there is still just decreased minority uptake, um, particularly in some of the more um, rural parts of the county, which is, you know, it reflects certainly structural, um, you know, problems with delivery of health care, both locally and statewide and nationally. I think it also bespeaks um, some communication failures that we've had um, locally um, and statewide. And it also perhaps reflects some degree of um, misinformation or lack of good information. Um, you know, it, it's been a long slog trying to get the vaccine to all of the underserved communities. It's just, it's very difficult. Um, and I think that the FQHCs have been doing a very good job in their outreach activities 
I also think that a substantial component of um, some of the decreased uptake um, amongst um, the Latinx community is concerns around the side effects of the vaccine. And we're not talking sort of the imaginary, factitious, long-term side effects that may or may not make you really tired four years from now. I'm talking about the real um, short-term side effects of sort of mild flu-like symptoms for 24 hours. You know, n- newsflash, but the, the Spanish-speaking com- uh, population in this county uh, works extremely hard and missing a single day actually makes a huge difference if you're living uh, from uh, paycheck to paycheck on an hourly wage and missing work for a couple of days is really just not a good option. And I think that actually probably more than any other single factor is driving uh, the slow uptake of, of vaccine in the Latinx community. Are you seeing um, any uh, numbers that say that more Latinx folks are getting sick in the hospital? It, yeah, I mean, that that imbalance still persists. It's been a, an unfortunate feature of COVID in this county and in this state and in this nation uh, throughout the pandemic. I mean, it really has fallen disproportionately on the on the Latinx community, um, particularly in the county. Um, you know, and it's it's still there. Uh, it's not quite as prevalent as it was back during the surge or early on or during last summer when, you know, over well over half of the population was uh, Spanish speaking primarily at home. Um, but, you know, there is still a disproportionate number of Latinx who are contracting COVID at this point. All right. Well, the phone started ringing. So let's take another call. Ooh, missed him. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hi, I was um, calling. I oh, I'm hearing a reverb. No, I'm good. Okay, um, so I was calling to find out about rates of COVID among children under five, and then I also wanted to find out um, if the doctor knew of any vaccine studies statewide for this age group. Um, because there was anything at at uh, UCSF or um, San Diego Children's Hospital that anybody could get their kid enrolled in and then um another question i had was uh what the doctor was thinking about with the maskless future and um like going to bigger events like going to a baseball game and i'll just take my answer off there thank you yeah, so Moderna and Pfizer are currently engaged in clinical trials looking at the ages 2 to two to 12. Um, and I'm not sure if they still have open enrollment in those clinical trials. That's not something I've seen recently. I think that UCSF is part of that trial. Logistically, I think it would be very hard to sign up for that kind of a trial from up here unless you're willing to make multiple trips down to the city to get the vaccine. Um, and, and, you know, the other, I mean, I, I appreciate the caller's interest in potentially enrolling a child in this clinical trial. I would certainly, you know, leap at the opportunity to do so. Um, but I, I think there's actually going to be fairly good, um, you know, uptake of um, kids who are willing to um, sign up for this trial um, over the course of the next month or two. But I'm not sure if there's still open enrollment in the trial out of, uh, I, I believe it's UCSF. And as for the other caller's questions about our maskless future, 
it's coming. You know, I, I think that there will be some people who continue to wear masks, um, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, but as for sort of state guidelines or county guidelines regarding indoor masklessness, um, that's probably not going to be fully upon us until late summer and early fall with the asterisk being that these, you know, these strains or these variations uh, need to continue to show that they are well contained with the vaccine and all the data that we're seeing so far shows that they are, but that that could really change if a new strain emerges and we start to see increasing numbers. I think that the surveillance, the genetic surveillance, both nationally, well, I know um, nationally and certainly internationally, has improved considerably over the course of the last six months. So there are a lot of scientists who are tracking the variation, the genetic variation of the of the of, of the virus, um, and the. The big pharma companies, uh, Pfizer and Moderna, are in a position and nimble enough to be able to rejigger their um, their vaccine to address these strains really in the space of a couple months if a virulent new strain emerges. We just haven't seen that yet, but that's a lot. That's a source of a lot of concern for a lot of epidemiologists still. And as for your uh, question about bat uh, baseball games, well, baseball is outdoors, right? And unless you're singing during the baseball, if, so if you're singing the national anthem, then, you know, congratulations. But otherwise, yeah, baseball's fine. You can wear a mask. They're, you know, the, the, the big baseball, sort of the National League baseball, I think it's, I think they do it in pods now with spaced out audiences. And that's a low risk activity. If you're wearing a mask, people are outdoors and there's a breeze blowing typically. Um, and it's, that's safe. Lots of cheering. Lots of cheering with masks on if you want. Um, you know, too bad candlesticks not still open because there's always a stiff breeze there. That'll <laughs> blow everything yeah. away. Um, okay, we have uh, an email question. Actually, I have a couple of email questions. You want to go through those? Um, your opinion, please. Wisdom versus foolishness of a fully vaxxed elder person traveling on Amtrak from Bay Area to Texas and back this June or July. Ooh, um, Amtrak versus what, I guess, would be my question. I don't think you would be any safer um, on a train versus a plane. Now, some people want to take a train for reasons that have nothing to do with COVID. I know there are decisions that some of us make that are not involving COVID. Um, but if you're thinking of taking a train versus a plane, I, I think that the plane is probably just as safe, if not safer, just because it's much shorter. Um, planes are pretty good at um, circulating the ventilation. They've bumped it up during the pandemic. And believe it or not, despite the news items, I think the vast majority of people um, on planes are still masking with nearly 100% compliance. So if you're fully vaccinated, you know, feel comfortable flying. If you don't want to fly or if you want to take the train, I think that's fine. That will be a more you know prolonged um, journey. And if you're in a train car that happens to contain somebody with COVID, um, that's problematic, even if there is, you know, near universal continuous mask wearing. But even over a course of two to three days, we all take our masks down, you know, sporadically to eat and drink and whatnot. So, you know, that, that risk of exposure is it's low if you're fully vaccinated. I'm not sure it's wise choice, but it certainly doesn't fall into the foolish category to get to Texas um, and back via either mode of transportation. Hello, Texas in the summer. It might be foolish to go there. Well, that's a, just going to Texas, period, might be Ooh. foolish. But, you know, don't get Dr. Trotter started on that. <laughs> it's hotter than Ukiah. Yeah. 
Um, okay, and then any update on the relative efficacy over time with the single shot Johnson & Johnson? Yeah, so all three vaccines continue to show really good durability, um, which is to say they they are, as we've been tracking these vaccines, and, you know, it's still fairly novel, right, which is where all this anxiety comes from. Um, but the vaccines weren't really in use um, until September, so we don't have a long um, sort of long period of time for observation. But what we do know um, for the J&J as well as the other two is that there is still very durable immunity. There's not waning immunity um, from any one of these vaccines to any significant extent. So the talk um, that we had of requiring a booster, um, and I had you know, more or less predicted we would need a booster in the fall, may not come to fruition, um, particularly if we continue to see fairly high efficacy against all these strains that we're tracking um, in the U.S. and, you know, frankly, even here in Mendocino County. Um, it, you know, it, whether that happens or not it really just depends on where the data leads us but as things stand right now my sort of estimation that we're going to need a fall booster shot has actually dropped um quite a bit uh over the course of the last three to four months it might still happen but it's not sort of the 95 percent likelihood that i was thinking we would you know be at uh when i was thinking about this back in say january yeah i noticed people stop talking about that yeah it's it's and and, and it's, that's good news because really as we continue to look at the the immunity induced by these vaccines um it's durable um it, which is to say it's long lasting and it's effective against all of these strains there is some variation in terms of its efficacy against the various strains but in general um it's well over 60 and up to 80 85 90 percent effective against these various strains which is really all you can ask for from a vaccine and it's certainly enough to um stop the spread of the of the virus um when we get the vaccine uptake up into the 80 percent percentages okay so that leads perfectly into the question that i was asked this weekend by a group of people which was that um, looking at their vaccination card they noticed that there's a little thing that says um expiration and it has a date and i looked at my vaccination card and it does have that mine says it expires june 30th i think that means you expire june 30th. i better not yeah, that's I the got, last day i got show. plans yeah. <laughs> that's right yeah. our show expires yeah so that 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 date if it's written on your on your vaccine card uh, really reflects the the expiration date of the vial of the medication just as your bottle of tylenol in your medicine cabinet has an expiration date um it doesn't reflect when the vaccine is going to stop working uh, in your body it just you know any medication that's produced and is fda approved has to have an, F an expiration date printed on it whether that reflects reality or not um it's, it's required by the fda and you know these vaccines are no different so they're just like well june 30th looks good sure well it but does it it's frozen at a very low temperature but it still expires that's that's correct it's probably good for much much longer um but to be sure you know the pfizer vaccine doesn't require the ultra cold refrigeration anymore they you know did more data on that and relaxed oh. that recommendation um back in i think it was february or march still requires freezing but not you know negative 80. no one told me i well, have no so much, idea so much for your ultra cold freezer that you have right Alicia? really yeah. oh, i'll have to get rid of that okay let's take our next call the, the, the value of that has dropped dramatically <laughs> So many questions now. Okay. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Um, yes, this is related to what you were talking about a minute ago. Um, I'm I, we're not hearing much about antibody tests these days. And I'm wondering 
they must be being improved because I would think that that would be critical data to determine whether we need a booster or not. But are there studies going on um, that involve Mendocino County? And what what is currently really known from an empirical standpoint about how long uh, this immunity lasts? I'll take my answer off there. Thanks. Yes. So there are no clinical trials or studies going on in Mendocino County. I think I can assert that with a high degree of certainty. Um, in terms of the durability of the immunity, um, what we are seeing and what sort of immunologists are seeing in particular, because let me tell you, it, this is a complicated area of medicine and is there's a good reason why it's a six-year residency. Um, so it's what, what they are seeing and what I have read is that the long term um, memory cells and the helper cells that trigger immune response, the ones that sort of go deep into your bone marrow and live there more or less forever, um, are being generated and are staying healthy and producing the antibodies um, the way they should from this vaccine, which points toward the conclusion that this immunity induced by this vaccine is probably going to last on the order of multiple years. Now, obviously, we don't have that longitudinal data, and this requires extrapolation from what we know, how the immune system works with other vaccines and other diseases. But that's where we're probably headed. Um, in terms of antibody testing, it's it's being surveyed. Antibodies are being surveyed, you know, continuously in a lot of these re big research centers to get a sense of how long and how durable the immune response is from the vaccine. Inter but it doesn't really translate to any individualized decision making. With the caveat being, if you're immune suppressed in some significant way, then individual Im antibody immune testing is probably a good idea because that will give you a sense as to whether you do have um, an immune response uh, from the vaccine. Um, that's that's not an unreasonable course of action to pursue uh, with your primary provider. There's not a lot of antibody testing to be sure anywhere in the county, but it is a send-out lab that can be obtained. Um, I think it's run in the Bay Area. And that would be a reasonable thing to do, particularly if you're on chemotherapy, if you're an organ transplant patient, or if you're on one of these uh, biologic, very expensive medications that modulates your immune system in some way. Great question. Thanks, caller. We've got another call. It's 895-2448 is the number here in the studio. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Um, I have two questions. One is um, I work with high school-aged kids, and the girls that I work with, um, it's just a small group now, and we're back in the gym. Everyone's vaccinated, but um, and we're a low number. It's volleyball, so we're also not right next to each other. We're pretty spread out because it's just a small group of girls. And yet we still, um, you know, and it's our school's policy right now to still wear masks, but I'm just wondering what is really the risk if we are all vaccinated, we are in a giant gym, doors are open. So that's my first question. And then my other one is I have two adult kids. Um, they have not been, they've chosen not to get vaccinated at this time. Um, but I'm wondering too, they, they're, um, one of them especially is quite certain that they've had COVID and is it still necessary and even just not in their situation, but if somebody for sure had COVID and knew that they had COVID, it was confirmed, do they still need to get a vaccine? Okay. That's it. Thanks. 
All right. So as for your high school students who are playing volleyball indoors in a huge gymnasium with doors open, the actual risk um, to those kids from COVID is quite low indeed. I mean, we're talking really just a very, very low risk of any one of those getting a severe case of COVID requiring medical attention or loss of school days, um, you know, from that type of activity. However, um, there is still this public health um, need to keep our kids safe. And so for now, the recommendation, um, which I think is reasonable, is that any sort of act indoor activity should we involve a mask whether it's you know in a small more cramped and less well ventilated uh, classroom or in a large you know gymnasium it's hard to make those distinctions on a case-by-case business uh, 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 you know, case-by-case basis um, and then translate to public policy and so I think that's why there's just this you know fiat that indoor activities with school children should be masked and you know for now that just that has to be the policy because there's not a good alternative but you know for you to sort of assess the risk of this it's it's pretty safe frankly um as for your second question somebody who's had covid um and you know is quite sure they had covid either because they are tested or because they were exposed um and then had symptoms thereafter Here's why you still want to get the shot. Um, and you know, we were talking just a minute ago, I was talking just a minute ago about the durability of the immunity. Um, and so the vaccine um, produces both a stronger um, immune response and a more durable immune response than the natural immunity um, from the illness. And so, you know, to the extent that an individual may or may not have had COVID, particularly given these strains, um, there's there's really quite good data showing that your risk of getting a severe illness goes down um, with the vaccine, even if you previously have had COVID. So the recommendation, both out of the CDC and pretty much out of any public health um, office, is get the vaccine, um, you know, really without exception, uh, if you even if you've had COVID previously. And it's not just a public health policy region, but uh, basis, but it, it's a it's a it helps protect one's individual health in a way that we're really seeing um, in the individual data. Um, in terms of more severe illnesses, especially considered in context of these strains. So if you've had sort of the garden variety COVID, um, and we're now dealing with these other strains like B117 or B3P1 or any of these other strains from, you know, throughout the throughout the world that are present in Mendocino County, don't be fooled, they are here. Um, you know, a previous illness with COVID might not be quite uh, the immune protection that you need against some of these strains, whereas all the data is showing that vaccines do provide protection against all the strains that we've identified so far. Are there people who had COVID and then got it again and got it worse? There are certainly people who have gotten COVID and then gotten it again. And I imagine that there are some who had a worse illness the second time around. 
I don't think there are probably very many of those people, um, but uh, I'm sure they're out there. I haven't seen any, and I'm not really sure that there's been any cases um, where people have been hospitalized twice or for a recurrent episode of COVID. It, it is rare, uh, to be sure, but, you know, COVID's no fun. Um, long COVID is really no fun, and you know, everything's showing that the vaccine is pretty safe and effective. And, you know, these are all questions that are reasonable. I think this is why we're seeing a lot of people sort of saying, I'm going to wait and see. I already have it. My odds of personally of getting quite sick from COVID since I think I already had it are low. But boy, it is a messy, nasty disease. And when I see it on a day-to-day basis, it's it's a pretty easy equation to solve um, for me, um, right. as as all of, you know, as all the listeners probably recognize at this point. All right, we got another call. It's eight nine five two four four eight. We got about eight minutes left here. <laughs> hey, caller, you're live on the air. Caller, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello. Hey, I'm I'm going to miss you guys, Drew. I think you ought to get a show. <laughs> I, I I love your rants. <laughs> you and me should have a beer sometime. Just tear them up. But uh, uh, I got together yesterday with uh, oh, let's see, one, two, three, three generations, and uh, just just had a ball. My 83 year old mom who's recovered from open heart surgery, and she's vaccinated. Everybody's vaccinated. The teenagers were halfway vaccinated, and the little ones weren't. But it's great. I I just don't I I don't understand. Uh, I saw a cartoon in the paper yesterday. It said uh, one person said fifty percent of Americans are are fully vaccinated, and the other one says, "Yeah, and the other fifty percent think Trump won the election." Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think it breaks down just along those lines. I can, in fact, I, no, I know it doesn't. It doesn't but. but I mean. My mom was vaccinated. I was vaccinated. My kids are vaccinated, and my grandchildren are just fine. You know, I mean, this fear of—it's uh, just really—it's totally absurd. And now it's—it's it's their disease. I mean, we're all just—you know—we're—we're we're covered. It's—it's it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's—it's anyway. it's, it's a fear of the unknown, right? I mean, you know, it's not, not that it's my memory, but I certainly have read about sort of the fear of seatbelts. Right when cars were getting seatbelts in the '60s, and you know, people were saying, "Oh, you can get thrown clear if you don't get strapped in," and you know, right. people talking about, you know, "I'm not going to wear a seatbelt; it's my individual liberty not to get strapped in." But you know, sooner mm-hmm. or later, you know, enough people realize that these things work, um, and they prevent death or or worse. Or, yeah. You know, so I, we'll get there. It's just a long slog, and there's you know, there's a fraction of the population that are late adopters. Um, and, and that's really what we're pursuing. You know, they're also just the, the completely bananas uh, people as well. And those are going to be, you know, more difficult to reach. Let's just say that. Um, and it can certainly try my patients when I'm a provider at work in my, you know, 30-second emergency room clinical time. Um, but it's it's a problem, you know, that we're all just going to have to continue to address it's not, however, just a disease amongst the unvaccinated, right? I mean, the longer it stays around us, the longer it stays amongst us, um, the longer we're going to be dealing with it in a way that may not affect us too much. You know, but for those of us who are immune suppressed or, you know, at increased risk, even if we're vaccinated, that's going to be a real problem. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, even amongst yeah. the vaccinated, it's, you know, it's not a, the vaccine is not, 
completely bomb-proof, right? It doesn't it doesn't inoculate right. against any sort of illness, and there will be a few people who do you know poorly. It's just we're getting to a point in this county, and this is one reason why Alicia and I decided to you know step back from this weekly show. You know, it's not something that is driving the high disease burden in this county um you know compared to other things like the american diet or the opiate uh, pandemic or methamphetamine abuse you know i saw much more methamphetamine and opiate related problems today at work than i did covid um and you know i'm not doing a weekly update on the opiate pandemic or you know the use of methamphetamines in this county but you know, I certainly could. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Good idea. Here we go. <laughs> Don't get any ideas, Alicia. Okay, I personally hate the electric windows because in case I crash my car into a lake or something, I won't be able to roll the window down and get out. <laughs> I know a good solution for that, which is don't drive into a lake. Yeah. Thanks a lot for the show, you guys. Yeah. You're great. That, that, that's why I drive my boat car. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and don't worry, there there are soon going to be no more lakes in Mendocino that's County. True. Have you seen yeah, Mendocino that's not recently? really a problem. Yeah. <laughs> right, self-solving problem. Okay, thank you, caller. Take care. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Um, let's see if we can get one more in the last couple minutes, okay? Before we delve into the truly absurd here. <laughs> Amphibious vehicles. Hey, caller, you are live on the air. Can you make it real short? Hi, yes. I just wondered if unvaccinated adults are still considered to be liabilities for carrying or perpetuating the spread and the variants of the, the new variants. Uh, yes, is the answer. Um, you know, it, it, the virus is going to continue to propagate primarily amongst the unvaccinated. Um, that's, mm-hmm. you know, we know that the vaccinated people don't get the illness much. It's still, and I know this has been a point of frustration for many people, it's still not entirely shown that the vaccinated people who do get um, COVID, um, you know, transmit it or don't transmit it to others, which is why we still have this masking requirement. I think mm-hmm. the CDC's backing away from the in, from the outdoor masking really reflects increased confidence in the data that shows the vaccinated people just don't spread it at a very high level at all. But that's not a slam dunk. All of which is this. But what show. about unvaccinated people? Right. So all of which is to say that the unvaccinated people are really the ones that are continuing to allow the virus to spread um, both locally and statewide and nationwide for that matter. Um, and we're going to start to see some of these states that have, you know, 10, 15, 20 percent um, lower vaccine uptake than the national average. We're going to start to see higher rates in those cases, whether it happens this summer or it happens this fall Remains to be seen, but that you know that trend will emerge from the data. Um, I, I'm quite comfortable in asserting that. All right, thanks for the call, caller, and that's going to do it for the local coronavirus update today. Special Memorial Day edition, exactly. And we will be back next Monday from three to four p.m. taking your calls about anything COVID related. Thanks, Drew. Let's turn the air conditioning back on. This was a very hot show. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It is summer in Mendocino County. So um, any last thoughts in the last 30 seconds here? No, just be safe. Get the vaccine if you haven't yet. Although I think anybody who's listening to this show at this point probably is vaccinated. Either that or you're just a glutton for punishment. (laughs) But uh, thanks for listening, callers. Thank you for your calls and your questions. It's It's been a lot of fun. We'll be back next week. 
listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXMZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.